You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Years ago, um, who remembers the comedian Bob Newhart? Anyone ever listened to Bob Newhart? He's a master of... of uh, the comic. He, he was um, best known uh, in some respects for some monologues that, that he would do. Hey, hello, Doug Andrews. How are you? Look at you. We're thinking, oh, Jenny too. Nice to see you. Every now and again that happens. Yes, Liz, they're just over there. So, um, so Bob Newhart we're talking about, weren't we? So, so Bob, um, he, he had this little comic routine where he would do this sort of monologue. You know, he would be in a such and such situation. Like, um, oh, he, he came up with some, some genius scenarios. Like, the, what about the security guard um, in the building on the night that King Kong decides to climb the Empire State Building. And what if that security guard actually only had jurisdiction between the, the fifth and the tenth floors and actually couldn't get past King Kong's toe? And so he, he came up with these amazing scenarios. Now, another one um, that was a particular favourite of mine was the driving instructor. I don't know if you ever heard about the driving instructor, but the monologue went something along the lines of, Oh, oh, oh dear, I can't remember the name of the, the lady that he was teaching to drive. Yes, Bob Newhart was sexist. Um, but but he basically said, oh, oh dear, Mrs. such and such, it, it does appear now that we've crashed, doesn't it? Y- yes, you, you were blinded. Oh, you were, you were blinded by the flashing lights. Oh, you were blinded by the blue flashing lights in the rearview mirror. I see. And, and then the monologue goes on to, to uh, talk about the, and the conversation between the, uh, the nice police officer who apparently blinded the driver with his blue flashing lights. My experience way back, leaving Bob Newhart there, my experience way back in the police force was that, yes, those, those blue flashing lights did have an impact. And I guess depending on your circumstances was whether they were, you know, uh, uh, something to delight in or something to be a little bit scared of. But... But whenever we would be driving in a marked police car, when we had those, those blue flashing lights, it, I tell you, it really brought out the best in people. I, I had never seen such well-behaved traffic as when we were there in a, in a marked police car. It would, would often make me think, you know, by and large, most people are angels when we're right here in the middle of the road in a marked police car. It's just when they didn't realise we were there that, that things changed. So I want to have a little bit of a look at what, what is it about the presence of a marked police car that changes the behaviour of the traffic around it? What, what is the dynamic there? How does that work? And, and we're going to have a little bit of a look at this, particularly as it pertains to the rule of God. Now, two weeks ago, we started to look at this whole issue of the rule of God because we're, we're in the book of Joshua and we're at that stage where Joshua and the Israelites are about to, about to take, literally conquer the city of Jericho. Now, the Sunday school version of it is lots of fun, marching around seven times, walls fall down, and in we go and Rahab gets saved. The biblical version of it, though, is a little bit more bloody and gory. 
there are some troubling elements to it, including the fact that, that God instructs the Israelites to, to take the lives of everyone. It is to be consecrated, the city, the whole city, and every living thing in it is to be consecrated to him. And that means that it's not just the fighting men of the city that die, but it is actually the women and the children as well. It's a, it's a very difficult passage for us as Christians to get our heads around. We, we have to ask the question, how is this different to the Crusades? How is this different to, to so many of the wars that are that are um, at the you know currently being played out around the world and and what does this what does this mean in terms of a god of love and 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 genocide how do we understand this uh, what what is god saying to us and we began a couple of weeks ago by talking about the rule of god and my basic aim was to take you back to genesis and to to help you to understand just how wonderful is the rule of God. To see the, the rule of God in a, in a whole new light and to fall in love once more with the rule of God. To understand that the, the rule of God, wherever God rules, the rule of God means life. He brings life and order. I guess the biblical term for this would be blessing. Wherever God rules, there is blessing. Then, as we're in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we inevitably turn to chapter 3, and we realize that the reverse is also true. Where God rules, there is blessing. Where God does not rule, there is curse. Cursed was the land cursed was was all of the the beautiful things that formerly were were under the order and the rule of rule of god and so we discovered in genesis that there were two rules there was the rule of god and there was the rule of satan there was the blessing of god and there was the curse of satan there is the world as it was in, originally intended to be and there is the world that is fallen and I guess we're coming together with these two rules. Now, of course, I was to pick up part two of, of this. By the way, just heads up, it's grown from a two-part series to a four-part series. But you probably saw that coming. Um, and we'll be finished by December. So, um, but here we, here we are looking at this. Now, I was supposed to do part two last week and... Uh, and well, I just lost my voice, actually. So on Saturday, I, I kind of, I was thinking, what to do? And, and I thought, wow, that's what I love about a team-based ministry. I rang Sam, and I started out a little bit sheepishly, like, you know, how's your day going, Sam? And, um, and so forth. And to be quite honest, he, he seemed a little bit distracted. Um, and uh, I just thought, oh, I'm just, you know, kind of approaching this casually, shooting the breeze and so forth. I wonder why he's a bit distracted. And as the conversation um, went on, it became apparent that he'd just sat down to look at a passage that he'd woken up with that morning. So by the time I said, I wonder whether you could fill in for me tomorrow, he already knew the answer. And he was, he was of course, looking at Romans chapter 12 and particularly verses 1 to, 1 to 3. As soon as he said that, I thought, do you know what? 
I think, I think God could be, could be in this because I could immediately see how this was complementing beautifully just where we're at talking about the rule of God in Joshua. Of course, Romans 12, and I haven't listened to Sam's sermon, but I, but I know the essence of the, the passage. And Sam would have been talking about that aspect of the two rules of God. There is the rule of God, but not the rule of God, but the two rules, the rule of God and the rule of this world. And he would have been talking about, of course, not conforming to the pattern of this world. Of course, that is a particular rule, isn't it? It's not the rule of God. It is the, the pattern of this world. And as Christians, we're, we're not, to, not to conform to that. And we would have to, and, and I do know a little bit about this from, from Sam, that there are various influences in terms of not conforming to the pattern of this world, influences that we need, to, we need to be aware of. Some of them, and I'm not sure that Sam mentioned these, some of them are very subtle. And sometimes I actually wonder whether it is not the obvious influences of the world that we have to be careful of, but the ones that aren't so obvious. In the realm of politics, is it actually our favorite party and our favorite politician? that we need to be a little bit more cautious about. In the realm of academia, is it actually our, our favorite author or our favorite thinker? Amongst our peers, is it actually one of our best friends? The one that we always see eye to eye with in our family? Is it that brother or sister or mum or dad that we are closest to? Now, why would I say this? Because Jesus very clearly warned that when my kingdom comes, it's going to divide a household. It's going to divide peer friendships. It's going to divide everything that you love and is precious to you. Two men will be working together in the, the field, not because, not because probably they hate each other, but probably they actually get along really well together and they love working together. They're co-workers. One will be gone and the other will remain. A couple will be lying in bed. One will be gone. The other will remain. Two women will be, will be um, uh, grinding wheat. One will go and the other will remain. The kingdom of God divides the closest friendships we have. And perhaps when you're thinking about the influences on your life, what is it that might actually cause you to conform to the pattern of this world? It's the danger of the things and the people that you are closest to that you need to be cautious of. Interesting thought, huh? Troubling, unsettling thought. Um, of course, we can't remove ourselves entirely from this world. Paul said that to the Corinthians. He actually said, you know, uh, don't, don't, don't get too, um, too close or too tight with a certain group of people. But do you know who that group of people was? It was actually false teachers in the church. He then goes on to say, of course, I don't mean the ungodly, for then you'd have to be extracted from the world, wouldn't you? So... So even Paul amongst the Corinthians is talking about the fact, we're in the world, we're amongst these influences, but be on your guard, be careful here. Be careful about what influences you. So we have to, we have to think about that. I, when, when each of our kids sort of reached adolescence, um, there's a little bit of a tip I had from J James Dobson. The idea was to have that talk with them, you know, the one that no parent wants to have, you know, what car are you going to buy, son? Uh, to have that... No, 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 it wasn't that. It was, it was the adolescent talk. Anyway, to have that talk with them when they're about aged, oh, well, depending, guy, girl, but pre-puberty, pre before it sort of gets embarrassing. 
And so around age 11 with the, with the boys, I would, I would take them away. And um, usually it was, a, it was a theme park. And uh, I'd take each of them away. We'd do the theme park. And somehow I would, I would tie in water slides or roller coasters with the facts of life. And um, actually it was easier than you might think. Anyway, uh, but, but do, it, do it before puberty. And I would also just talk to them, and I'd, I'd play them a bit of a favorite song of mine. It was from the, um, the, the singer Keith Green, Song to Josiah. Keith Green wrote a song to his son Josiah, and he, and he talks in that song about, Oh, son, I wish I could protect you from the ways of this world. This is not the lyrics, because you'll notice these don't rhyme, but this is my summary. I wish you, I could protect you from the ways of this world. You know, this, this world is going to hold out so much promise, but it lied to me, and it's lying to you as well. Oh, my son, I so want to protect you. But there was a father long, long ago who allowed his son, Jesus, to die. And therein is your hope. It's a beautiful song, but it's a song that basically says to a son, a father to a son, there are two worlds. There are two rules. Oh, son, if only I could protect you. But I can't. I can only tell you about two rules. And be wary of this one over here because it lies and it is full of deception. But the rule of God is a beautiful thing. And that's what we need to understand. And when I want you to fall in love with the rule of God, I want you to fall in love with a rule which when you come under it, you are experiencing here on earth a taste of heaven, the way things should be. But I want to share with you this morning an even more fundamental principle than what we talked about two weeks ago. The rule of God brings life. Well, here is an even more fundamental principle this morning. Again, we find it, and our basis for this is in Genesis 1 to 3. On the one hand, we have this garden. It is beautiful. It's full of life and color and vibrancy. It is an amazing place to be, the Garden of Eden. Yes, when you read the passage, you feel like, I want to be there. I want to play in that garden. And, and rightly so, it's beautifully pictured. It is filled with life and vibrancy. In this garden, you see blessings. The order of God coming under the rule of God. But then chapter 3, the whole thing gets broken, doesn't it? And now we see instead of the beautiful Garden of Eden, we see banishment. Instead of, instead of life, we see death. Instead of blessing, we see curse. Instead of order, we see chaos. And it leaves us with the fundamental question, what's different here? The answer is the presence of God. In one, God was present. In the cool of the evening, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. In the other, they are banished from the garden. And they no longer experience the presence of God in the way that they once used to. The key difference here 
between life and blessing and order and then banishment, death, curse, chaos. The key difference is the presence of God. You see, the rule of God follows the presence of God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the rule of God brings life. Yes, but the rule of God follows the presence of God. As carrying a lamp into a room brings light, so the presence of God brings his rule. In Joshua chapter 6, we, we see this, and I think this is one of the ways in which we are to understand the battle plan of God, the strategy of God. Why march around this incredibly fortified city? Why march around it seven times? I mean, the, 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 the number seven, complete, perfect, we kind of get the picture of that. Okay, a complete number of times, but, but what else is going on here? We've got ram's horns blowing. But in verse 4, I think we, here's the clue. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Now, the ark of God represented, we've, we've sometimes said this or noted it, the presence of God, the throne of God, the rule of God. Um, the, the ark itself, of course, was like a, like a throne. This is where God rules from. And, and what is inside it, of course, the, the law of God. So the ark of God represented the presence of God, the rule of God, the law of God. This represented his righteousness. And before anything else happened in this battle scenario, before wars fell down, before everybody marched in, here's the intriguing thing. That which was most precious to Israel, which, which really represented the presence of God, which, remember, stood right in the middle of the Jordan River so that everybody could pass through on dry land. This was the essence. This, was, this identified who Israel was. And there they are to march that around the city. This wasn't just the people marching around the city. This was that which symbolized the presence and the rule of God marching around the city again and again and again, some seven times. Again, in verse 8, we see this clearly. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord, they went forward blowing their trumpets and so forth. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. They were doing this before the Lord in the presence of God himself. What had entered the promised land was the presence of God and the nation with it. What was going around the city of Jericho was the presence of God and the nation of Israel with it. God's presence preceded his rule. Wherever God is present, there his rule is also. Um, they're inseparable. You cannot have the presence of God without the rule of God. And, and I hope by the time we finish this morning, you're not just astounded by that fact, 
but you were encouraged, as Sam prayed before, edified, built up by this fact. It's an amazing principle, and it's one which should bring you great joy, delight, and encouragement. But the presence of God and the rule of God are inseparable. Um, years I got referred before, if, you, if you're new here, I once served with the Victoria Police. Everybody else here kind of knows that. They get a daily, weekly dose of, dose of that. But it was only for a few years. But I guess it, as somebody, somebody said to me one day, I guess that must have really had a bit of an impact on you because you keep bringing it up, Stuart. I, I, guess, I guess it did. Um, fun times. But um, uh, I remember one, one time, not a suburb, uh, you know, far from here, actually, about one particular night, we were called to what we used to refer to as a hot burg. Now, that has nothing to do with dinner time. Um, a hot burg was, was simply um, a burglary of a, of a premises that was hot. It was probably going on right now. And it usually you would describe it that way because of the information that came your way. You know, I just saw somebody crawl through a window or something like that. So you'd have just a little bit more information than normal that told you it's quite possible somebody's still there. So we approached this instead of you know, lights and sirens, we, we approached this quietly so that we didn't scare the person off because we actually wanted to, to catch them. So we, we cruised to a stop just a few houses down from where we knew it was. But this, the, the burglar had, had chosen this premises really well. The street lights were off. It was pitch black. And as we're getting out of the car and quietly closing our doors, we were very sneaky, weren't we? And we're quietly closing our doors. I said to my, my partner, who was junior to me, I said, okay, you got your torch? And he said, oh, no. I said, what? He said, I forgot it. So we're down to one torch. We're going to cover the back and the front. So I said, here, take, take my torch. You, you cover the back. And I'll take the front. Because I had just a little bit more experience so he, he heads around the back, and he's, he's got the torch. And, and suddenly, I find myself in the front yard. Now, no street lights. And I find myself in the front yard, you know, minutes ago, feeling like the senior member. You know, that was a, that was a really noble thing to do. Now, I'm standing in the pitch black in the front yard, thinking that was a really stupid thing to do. Like, he's more junior to me. He's expendable. Um, <laughs> Here I am in the front yard, and it's completely dark. And now the last thing we did before we hopped out of the car is, of course, we noti notified D24 of our location. And, uh, and the last thing I heard as I was closing the door was, um, was our backup. And on this occasion, our backup wasn't another car. Our backup was none other than Air 495, the, the police chopper. And, uh, and so... So as I'm going through the, through the front yard, I'm thinking, I really could use a light here. And then I could hear Air 495. Now, they have a little light on board um, called the sun. Because when they turn it on, it is just like the sun. And, and there I am in the backyard thinking about how ludicrous this decision is of mine to, to split up and so forth. And I really could use a light here. I just cannot see anything. There's bushes, there's trees here. Like, somebody could be behind any of these things. And suddenly, Air 495 was over the top um, and, then, and then just flicked the switch. And the whole property just, just lit up. It was incredible. It really, I was tanning. It was, it was, it was that, that good. It was, it was lovely. 
Now, I'd love to tell you the, the rest of that story. To be quite honest, I don't remember the rest of it. I don't remember if we caught someone or not. That was years ago. But don't worry about that. The, the thing was, when, when the helicopter was present and the light was switched on, everything changed. And that's how it is with God. When God is present, when his rule all of a sudden permeates a situation, everything is changed. It is the difference between night and day, between darkness and light. When God is present, the rule of God changes absolutely everything. It is something to long for, something to love. But the rule of God follows the presence of God, just like the light followed the helicopter. The helicopter needed to be present in, in order for there to be the light that I needed. The presence of God needs to, needs to precede the rule of God. So how is this situation here in Jericho different from, say, the Crusades? That little blight in terms of church history. Well, I'd say this. Here, the rule of God was following the presence of God. The Crusades was man's attempt to usher in the rule of God without the presence of God. The thinking back in the day, because church and state had got too enmeshed, was was that we can bring in the rule of God and then we will establish the presence of God. Wrong. It was never going to work. It was failed from the beginning. The rule of God must follow the presence of God. That's God's way. And whenever we, as, as mankind, try to bypass that, things get really, really ugly. The rule of God follows the presence of God. Um, going back to the way the Lord was leading Sam to, to talk from Romans 12 last week. So we are not to be conformed by the pattern of this world. But instead, we're to be renewed in our thinking, renewed in our minds. We are to have a renewed mind, which, of course, leaves us guessing. And Sam would have covered that. Well, well, <laughs> how do you get a renewed mind? Because I want one of them. Well, the big clue is in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Well, hang on, hang on. How has God been merciful? Preceding chapters, of course, 10 and 11 is, is very much all about you know, God's mercy towards Israel. But what was that mercy? We go all the way back to, back to chapter 6, and the big clue is offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice. Where's that language from? Well, that's the same language, is it not? Offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice of I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. The presence. The presence of God within us. We're now to renew our minds. Think about yourself differently. Don't think about yourself like, you know, here I am, a sinner, you know, enslaved to a sinner's ways. No, no, no. Remember, renewed mind. Offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice. I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer either lives, but Christ who lives within me, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new is calm. This is the renewed thinking that we need to apply to our minds. And those of us who are reading through Watchman Nee on our Wednesday night class, 
We're so being blessed by the normal Christian life and this, this renewed thinking of understanding that this is Jesus in us now, the presence of God within us, transforming us. Romans 6, 4 is where Paul kind of covers this, talking about the fact we've been, just as Christ was buried, we've been buried. We're dead. Don't speak of that person anymore. But just as Christ has been raised now to life, so you have been raised to a whole new life. And Jesus within you is the evidence of that. This is the renewed mind with which we now think. Because we are renewed in our thinking and we understand ourselves totally differently now, we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Doesn't that make sense? That's the mercy of God. Awesome stuff, huh? That's God's mercy. I'll change you. I'll give you a new heart. I'll make you a new creation. I'll make you totally new from the inside out. My presence in you, establishing the rule of God in your life. Oh, Perhaps some of the most beautiful words a Christian can, can pray is, Your kingdom come. Now, of course, we look around the world, don't we? And you think, Your kingdom come. Oh, look at this situation here. Please, God, would your kingdom come? And we need your rule in that situation. And oh, look over here. Lord, look at this situation. Please, your kingdom come. We need your rule in this situation. Look over here. Your, Lord, please, your kingdom come. Bring your rule to this situation. Oh, look here, God. Your kingdom come. Bring your rule into my life. Be king of this life. Bring your rule. Let your rule follow your presence. Your presence is here. Now bring your rule. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus within us, the wonder, the mystery of the ages. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What possible hope do you have of reflecting the glory of God? Christ in you, there's your hope. See, the presence of God, God abiding in you and you abiding in him, brings about the fruit of God the rule of God in your life. But the rule of God, the fruit of God, always follows the presence and the abiding. It's a beautiful thing. And Israel and Joshua were bringing the presence of God into the promised land. The rule of God would follow. They're inseparable. It would be. It would be. Years ago... And I've told this story before, but it was a very, very powerful time in my life, I think, where a penny dropped. I just got something that I'd never got before. Um, we were in our first ministry. 70-hour um, weeks were the norm, and I'd pull the occasional 90-hour week as well as a youth pastor, personally, individually ushering in the kingdom of God, you know. And I was burning out. Somebody gave us a holiday. It was an offer on an, on an island, Curtis Island. They, they ran a lighthouse. And, um, and we had a, had a book um, by Jack Deere, surprised by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. And 
and we took this book away with us. We're looking for some just encouragement in terms of our ministry and ourselves, our personal life. We, we took off to this island and we first we discovered very, very quickly that, that on the island there was a generator and uh, it got shut off at nine o'clock every night. So, so once, once the generator is shut off, that was it. There's no power to the island, no power to our house. And so, so much for those with, with, you know, I think three children at that time, three busy little children, so much for, you know, sort of reading, reading late at night. You know, it was, and uh, we, we'd forgotten the first night. I remember, you know, sort of, we'd, we'd only just, kids to bed, meal cleaned up, everything else. And uh, we're, we're sort of settling down for the night and then, that was it. It's pitch black. <laughs> it's kind of a, oh, we're going to get used to this. Now, Bron, being the faster reader, um, she, would, she would read, she was always a chapter ahead of me. And I guess we were four or five days into our little holiday, and she said, oh, you're going to love tonight's chapter. I said, fantastic, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, she said, you're, you're really going to love it. I said, great. Anyway, for whatever reason, we're late getting kids to bed and everything else, and I finally had my book, and it was my time to read the chapter. And, uh, and I was just a couple of pages in, and suddenly, and I said, that's not fair. You know, where, where's the generator? I thought, oh, what am I going to do? There's no, no, it's a lighthouse. We're holidaying at a lighthouse. So I went outside, and I, and I found that if I sat under, under the, the lighthouse just at the base, I, I actually had about 30 seconds of light. And so, so I remember sitting there reading the entire chapter a little bit like this, just going around. It took a little bit longer than normal. And then there was some thinking time. And, uh, and then I was able to sort of read the next chapter and go all the way around. And I, I will never forget that time. And perhaps for all of these reasons, this chapter really spoke to me because I had time to absorb it and digest it, think about it, and then take in the next section. It took quite a while, but... His point was, and I've never forgotten this, here I was at a time in my ministry where I sort of was tired, just burning out and wondering, where is the power of God to bring about the kind of transformation the world needs and I want? And the title of the chapter was, Presence Before Power. I was so convicted. Here I was seeking the power of God. I wanted to see more miracles. I wanted to see, I wanted to see big stuff. I wanted to see the world instantly changed. I wanted to see all of this. And Jack's point was quite simply this. Stuart, you should be seeking the presence of God, not the power of God. The power will follow the presence. And I don't know in your personal life how you're going in terms of seeing the rule of God established, his kingdom coming in your, in your life and his will being done here in your life as it is in heaven. But my encouragement to you would be this. Yes, you want to see the power and the rule of God in your life and perhaps in the lives of others as well, but it starts by seeking his presence. The presence comes before the rule. The rule of God will follow the presence. 
Presence comes before power. Indeed, presence establishes the rule of God. So I'm going to invite you now, lead you in prayer, to come once more in seeking the rule of God to go one better, a more fundamental principle, and to come once more to that place where even more than that, you are desiring the presence of God being established in your life. Because the rule will follow his presence. So Jesus, as we come to this moment, wanting to see your rule and your kingdom come, firstly, we acknowledge Your omnipresence, you are present everywhere and you are present here now. You are present in a special way because where two or three are gathered, there you are in their midst. And, and you are present in all of us here who have believed in our heart and confessed with our lips that you are Lord that you are who you say you are. That you took our sin upon a cross and were raised from the dead. You were present within us. But your rule is not an imposing one. And it is possible for you to be present and yet for us not fully acknowledge your presence, to abide in your presence, to seek your presence, to enjoy your presence, to welcome your presence, to acknowledge your presence. And sometimes when it comes down to the desires of our heart, to no longer even yearn for your presence. This happens. So we would just invite you this morning, Lord, to come once more and woo us to you. Draw us to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to fall in love with you once more. Restore our faith. in the one who loved us and gave himself for us.
Come, Lord Jesus. Some years ago, I was now policing at Carlton, and there was this thing called the Bouvery Street Drags. It was where, um, in Bouvery Street in Carlton, some young people would spill oil over the road, crowds would gather, cars would come, and they would do burnouts. And, and we were on patrol one night, we were the 250 unit, that is a sergeant and I, and, and we were called there because the crowds had gathered once more. The week earlier, actually, a, an unmarked police car had driven through that area and the crowds surrounded it and then jumped on it and actually wrote the vehicle off because of jumping on the roof and the, they dented it. The crowds were just going wild and the concern, of course, was that with so many people gathered around and cars spinning wildly out of control that somebody was going to get hurt. Well, of course, the idea is, coming in a marked police car, that with the presence comes the rule, right? So the idea was that we would drive through the Bouvery Street drags and, or the, the area where they were, and, of course, everybody would behave because when you see a marked car, you behave, with the presence comes the rule. And so we were driving through, but some young guy in a pretty pretty powerful, powerful little machine there had forgot to look in his rearview mirror and hadn't noticed that we were present. And so as he entered the intersection, he hit the oil and he put the accelerator down, turned the wheel and spun the wheels and started his little routine of donuts. And we were sitting there, I guess, and I was driving, we were sitting there thinking, well, that's not the way it's supposed to go. The idea was for us to kind of just do a pass through and keep going, not get stuck, not, not draw too much attention, but just, we called it flying the flag. Fly the flag and, and move on. But now with this young person spinning right in front of us in the middle of the intersection, we had to take action. What happens when the presence of the police is not acknowledged? Something has to happen. What happens when the presence of God is not acknowledged? Something has to happen. And we'll talk about that next week. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.